Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, a show where we discuss trends, pop culture, and the loneliness epidemic, because at the end of the day, everything is an ad. I am Luz Corona, Adweek Community Editor, and I have here, Rebecca is on a well-deserved break. I miss her so much, Um, but in the meantime, we had to find some great guest co-hosts. We've had a series of great guest co-hosts, and today is no exception. We have Emmy Lederman from the Adweek team covering DEI, agencies and the creator economy. My dear Emmy, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. I can't wait to talk about this. Yes. I think, you know, even based on our conversations and everything, I think you're like the perfect person for this. So I'm excited for today. And yes, Emmy, I'm excited that you actually brought on our guest today. It is Madison Udendahl, founder of Udendahl Creative from branding and design firm. Madison, hi, how are you? Hello, hello, hello. Thanks for having me. And thanks for thinking of me, Emmy. Yes. Emmy sings your praises, Madison. And I'm just like so excited to hear your journey. Um, So yes, today we're going to talk about, we mentioned before, the loneliness epidemic. And there's so many facets to this, right? But I wanted to start it off with that because this is an actual advisory that the U.S. Surgeon General issued earlier this year that there is an epidemic of loneliness and isolation. And today, and it's all about social connection. I highly encourage everyone to check it out. We'll dive into it in a little bit. But today's episode ladders into that because, you know, Emmy, you did this great piece on creator burnout. Highly encourage everyone to check that out as well. Um, Creator burnout and loneliness. And Madison here was one of your sources. So I'm looking forward to what you guys um, are diving into today. But before we dive into that, maybe let's give our listeners a picture of what a creator's day-to-day looks like, because I think there's a big taboo out there, misunderstanding. People see the filtered images on Instagram and all these jazzy parties that people are invited to, when in reality, it's it's a very time-consuming industry. So, Emmy, how about you give us a little bit and what you found in your research about a creator's day-to-day, and then Madison, if you want to jump in. Definitely. So I think it um, 
varies depending on the type of content creator you are. But one of the main reasons I was interested in this topic is because I think there's such a push within the industry for um, creators having autonomy over their work. And I think that there's something so beneficial about that, especially if you're working with a brand and you don't want them to compromise the integrity of your platform or the relationship you have with your followers. But at the same time, if you're someone who's doing independent work and a brand comes to you and is like, I want you to do these things, I don't want to give you any guidance, like have at it. Um, I was just kind of connecting that to the lonely, like the um, attorney general um, declaring the loneliness epidemic and also just not even the creator economy, but the the workforce at large right now. Um, So I think that from talking to creators, I had in my story um, this great quote from one, one creator who said that after she records all this content from YouTube for YouTube and after she presses the button to end it, she feels like she's in a Black Mirror episode because she just put out all of this social energy without getting anything in return. So I think a lot of it is just trying to navigate, like, how do I keep up this persona for my followers and make them feel like I'm invested in, invested in them when I'm not necessarily seeing that same energy that's sort of consistent. So I think that that's, that's a huge part of like what makes the industry tricky mental health-wise. Yeah, absolutely. And Madison, you have experience in this space. Um, you, you know, you also chimed in an Emmy's article too. What has been your experience in the kind of creative slash production space that kind of falls into this epidemic? Um, I mean, my experience in this space is more so along the lines of being another agency owner that works adjacent to creative or influencer agencies. So really more so seeing it from a perspective of leadership and the impact that some of the hires that have been made uh, suffer, what they're suffering from when it, in terms of burnout as a creator. Um, and then from my own experience, you know, we actually stopped working in social media. Social media was one of the verticals of my firm. And we closed that down probably about, I think I want to say almost two years ago now, or a year and a half ago, year and a half ago, uh, because of the churn and burnout that exists with such prolific content creation. I think that it's a, the challenge is twofold, right? You have uh, the pressure creatively, what I, which I always call is like a dance monkey dance, right? Like having uh time and the algorithm put against you in order to create innovation or innovative content. So that's one natural pressure that you face as a creator within this landscape. And then secondly, you have, uh, I find the second pressure is really the challenge of compartmentalizing performance and success, right? So not only are you put up against a time pressure needing to make content, you have to then deal with the societal pressure of seeing if your content is performing and if the public is agreeing or liking your content. I think those two things in combination uh, as a human being uh, are really naturally toxic. If you think about other jobs that require uh an evaluation on your performance, you're at least given a couple days, whether it's a job interview, you're a model, you're an actor, you're an athlete, and you do a tryout. Most of the time you're not cut on the spot within, you know, three seconds. (laughs) Usually it might be five minutes, right? But like there's some sort of mental barrier that you can create for yourself because you have a window before you will know your end result. 
that's gone in the landscape that we're in right now. I just think ultimately human beings are not designed to receive feedback that quickly. And it just leads to uh, unnecessary exhaustion and pressure. And speaking of your decision to take your firm and offer services in different verticals, one of them being social media, I think we had an interesting conversation about this idea of stepping back from a project before you need to. Um, in, in business, yep. I think most people would agree, like especially in when it comes to corporate America, you really don't – if something is profitable and you have a lot of clients and, and you're seeing success and growth, like there really doesn't seem like there's any reason to stop and you would only need to, to lean into that. Um, but I thought that mm-hmm. your perspective on um, – Realizing what didn't serve the agency and what wasn't an investment into the mental health of you and your employees, regardless of maybe how popular the services were. Um, I'm curious, like, how did you come to that conclusion finally that that was the best step for your business? Um, it's a great question. I would say there's two reasons why. Uh, one, the team no longer was excited to come to work to work on social media. And I don't believe that any company is successful without really happy people. And so once I started to get a sense that my team really was not enjoying the work, um, they felt that, you know, they were spending all these, all this time designing these beautiful assets, creating amazing content, and then having a client be like, why isn't this performing really impacted their sense of self. And frankly, like they were just, they're exceptionally talented women and they deserve more than getting evaluated that quickly. And by most of the time, clients have no idea what they were talking about. So I would say on one hand, it was like team morale. And then secondly, it was personal. On my, I had felt as someone who had spent 10 years in the industry, I just felt that I really believe you sometimes need to leave when you're at the top. Um, and I felt that I had really achieved all that I could have achieved in, in as being a social media marketing executive and got to a place where it was no longer serving me, right? Once you really start to dread going to work, I think you have to really take a moment and evaluate, like, is this really worth my time? Should I be doing this? So the team felt that way, and then I felt that way. I think also it's really important to acknowledge within the industry that my sort of heyday in social was with Instagram, and TikTok really came in as a beast in 2020, and uh, the, the margins from an agency perspective and economic perspective are just not there in the way that they used to be, right? You have uh, young, really young talent or 18, 19 years old, frankly, I think under undercharging for content creation that it's harder for an agency to have higher cost, right? To charge more for content when you can go find someone who can do it for way less and who's younger and more with it, you could say. Um, I mean, we're still young. We're in our late twenties and early thirties, but not in the landscape of TikTok. So economics, team morale, and then personal morale. That, that makes sense. And that's so refreshing to hear Madison. And I have to say, like, even just in speaking to creatives and working agency side, I really, I feel for creatives in this day and age, because there's so many different pressures, like pressure to deliver on business and then come up with fresh ideas. But then, you know, teams are spread thin. So you have to do it in 24 hours, you know, and, and it's, it's intense. Um, How do you balance, you know, business goals and personal fulfillment? Like what happened after you kind of started turning away that business? And did you notice a a difference, I'm assuming, in your team's morale? 
Yeah, I mean, it was hard, right? Like, I think that I'm very honest about it. I mean, essentially, we had to not, we couldn't hire for about a year because essentially we had to ensure that we financially were able to float the business, closing down our largest revenue driver. So it was a challenging year. You know, people did not get bonuses. You know, we didn't really have very nominal, small raises. We didn't hire. But the team, I think, you know, one of the things that we are insured is that they were fully aware of what was happening, right? So it was a collective decision. We are all deciding we don't want to do social. Okay, well, if that's the case, like this is just a sacrifice that's going to have to happen. Um, I ended up taking another job at another agency for a year. Emmy knows that's how we were actually introduced for the first time. Like it was a sacrifice. But I think that ultimately, not that, not I think, I know it was the best decision I've ever made for myself and for my business. And it was terrifying. And I really want to remind creators and agency folk that making hard decisions and closing down verticals of the company that you are building or you as a creator deciding you no longer want to do something that you've built your whole career off of is not easy. But in the long road, in the grand scheme of life, it is 1000% worth it. Because I think that if you don't end up, if you don't listen to your own instinct and gut in these things, the universe is going to end up doing it for you, right? So that's my whole theory of leaving when you have momentum is that what happens when you lose momentum, it starts to go like this, right? Momentum decreases and all of a sudden your value in the market is lower and lower and lower. Leave when you're at the top. Say, great, thank you. Did my piece. Really proud of this. Time to move on. That's just how I love that. (laughs) I got a Webby and I was like, okay, I think this is good. (laughs) I love that. And you listen to your gut, which is the most important thing as a business leader. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's, um, I, social media to me is a place of joy. I actually enjoy it. I think it's fun. I laugh. I have, my algorithm is really like been designed to bring me humor. It's like dogs and pranks. If you go on my TikTok and my Instagram and what I see. (laughs) And when these things stop bringing you joy in life and they start becoming humongous sources of stress, then I think as as an individual, it's also worth reevaluating, right? Is that why am I doing something that is bringing me so much pain when it could, if I so choose, be something that brings me joy? And I think that speaking of the way that you want to use social media for joy, you've been candid on your social media about your trial and error relationship with burnout in the workplace. And I know that you've we've had conversations, especially when we talked about isolation, about how burnout is kind of not necessarily about like how much you're working, but like the vicious cycle of maybe working late and not spending time, like, you know, not having time for friends, or sometimes it's not even about, like, the nature of the work, but other social dynamics I think we talked about. Um, And I'm curious, like, did you feel, when, when was, was there a certain turning point? I, like, you've talked about Museum of Ice Cream, for example, a place you worked where it was just a lot of asks and so many demands every day, um, a point where you were like, okay, I need to use my platform for something a little bit different. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's really funny. I'm going every, what usually happens for me is when I make these decisions to start speaking publicly about what I'm going through or an experience I'm having is what it's, it's comes from a real place of not really knowing where to search 
to find answers outside of like a deep Reddit thread. And like, I, excuse my language, I fucking love Reddit, but like, it's so, it's not very human, right? It's at least for me, because there's no visuals. I'm a visual learner. I'm a visual person. Like I can be on a Reddit thread, but like, I don't feel, I feel connected to the words, but I have no idea who I'm talking to. Right. There's just seems to be some sort of disconnect there. And in 2018, which was very much still the era of um, borderline, like cultish workplace environments, right. Where it was like, a lot of this hyperbole in this language of we are a family, like this is a rocket ship. This was like very common of my millennial era of starting in the workplace. There was nowhere to look to see if there was a place where other people were burnt out and like didn't want to subscribe to this, like we are a family, get on this rocket ship language. And so a lot of it came from a place of me being like, does is anyone else having this experience? And also in a place of asking people to be more mindful of the language they were using for me and not being able to feel like I could continue to show up and be dishonest. Meaning that people would say things to me like, you're killing it. And I had like just been in the hospital like two days before for pancreatitis from stress. And I was in this place of being like, oh my God, thanks so much. And it felt so disingenuous and was perpetuating this burnout cycle that exists specifically within millennial startup culture. So that's the place that this came from of like, I can no longer be disingenuous to myself and to other people. Is anyone else having this experience? And I think the growth of that for myself has also been that it's not always about the place you work, right? It's about whether or not that place is right for you. And I think a lot of people think they can like, change their boss, switch teams, like go to another vertical within the business and they're still struggling. And it's like, this business might not just be the right fit for you. That's where you have to take personal autonomy in your burnout, which I think is very hard for people. And it was hard for me. I still struggle with it, but I've just gotten to a place of being really honest about it. I love that. And I think it's so necessary, Madison. So first of all, kudos to you for being honest about it. Um, Because I think, you know, this ties into the report like about the loneliness epidemic. And I actually thought of your situation yesterday because Emmy filled me in a little bit. But the report says there's three vital components of social connection. Um, So there's structure, which is like household size, kind of what your environment looks like. Function, which is like the degree to which relationships serve various needs, like mentorship. And then I think your situation fell into the quality bucket, which is the positive and negative aspects of these interactions. So it's you know, you were working with people, you were, you you know, you were everything, but there was still this feeling of isolation and loneliness because there wasn't anyone there to relate to how burnt out everyone really was. So yeah. I think these conversations, it's more like a comment here, but really these conversations are yeah. so helpful. So thank you. Yeah. And, and also I think there's a lot of shame that, you know, we live in a world where everyone's like, just like have gratitude, be grateful. And that is true, like be a hundred percent. But I think these things are a lot harder to grasp when people tell you to have gratitude and be grateful, but you're working 12 hours a day and, you know, seven days a week. And, you know, you haven't seen your family who live three miles away in Manhattan. You're, you're, you're holding on to being grateful for what is the, the just having the job title or am I grateful to have an, an abled body that I'm not appreciating like what am I grateful for and how how am I reevaluating and intersecting quality of life and gratitude 
And I think that those are things that you have to really sit and think about, right? When it comes to the loneliness epidemic and it comes to burnout and it comes to being a creator is that what do you value more? Where are you values more? Right. I love that. My gosh, I'm so inspired. <laughs> I have. <laughs> I have. <laughs> it's so hard. It's like, it's one of those things where it's like, it's so much easier said than done. And it's been the most terrifying moments of right. my life have been acknowledging that I'm burnt out and um, acknowledging burnout also with privilege. You know, I think that's the other reality is, you know, there's a lot of people who are burnt out and working. I mean, I was just listening to a podcast yesterday, how in China you have people who are working, what is it? Nine, nine, six, right? Nine to nine, six days a oh week. My you hear things like that and you're like, damn, like I'm, I'm not working like that. And I'm still burnt out. You feel guilt. You feel shame. You, you have to recognize your, all these things can exist at the same yes. time. And I think that we have to find ways to be kind to ourselves, hold space in that recognition, and then also do the things that are right for us right, right. now. And I think I think there's some more tips that you have to share from what based on my conversations with Emmy, and I want to get to that. But let's cut for a quick break from and hear from our sponsors. We'll be right back. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. And we're back. Um, So, Madison, you were just talking us through, you mentioned language um, when it comes to kind of, I would assume, like boundaries and, you know, to that extent and, and things like that. You mentioned before someone said you're killing it. It was like right after you were just like in the hospital. You know, there's certain language here that I think might cross the line a little bit. And but they, we can also take it into our own hands and create boundaries for our work. So um, I know you and Emmy had a really fruitful conversation about this but what are what are some things that you've changed and kind of like some language that you've changed around your work that encourages others um we at you know creative unapologetically take vacation love that uh we really prioritize rest i find it fascinating the i'm actually like i'm we're going to be building out a research paper on this because it's so interesting we we 
close our office for five weeks every year. So two weeks in the summer, two weeks over Hanukkah, Christmas, and then one week over uh, Easter, Passover. And uh, the t- it's how we've been operating for years at this point. And people will say to us, oh, my God, you guys are always on vacation. And there's a hint of shame. It's not true. Yeah. Right? There's a hint of shame. There's guilt. There's jealousy. There's envy. Like, there's a lot going on when people say that. Um, but ultimately, I have to recognize, and we all recognize that, like, most of the time, it comes out of someone, else, someone else's own envy and vulnerability and fear. Right? They don't get to do that. They, you know they don't take vacation. They're really tired. They haven't rested. And it's usually some form of projection. So for us, we're really unapologetic about taking time off. Um, I think it's, uh, it's a very American thing to think taking time off is bad or thinking taking time off means you have to have a big expensive vacation. I take sometimes during these periods, I don't go anywhere. I just get to sleep in and be in my apartment and go to my doctor's appointments and just stay in New York. And it's, as fruitful and restorative as if I were getting on a plane to go to the Caribbean. Um, so that is one is like really try my advice to everyone is, and I say this with full recognition, it's just not the same for every single person. But if you do have the opportunity to take time off, you are not serving anyone nor yourself if you don't take it. Uh, statistically, most Americans that have unlimited vacation don't take it, um, which is a really fascinating societal look at how we mentally think of vacation versus what is provided to us. Uh, at, at my last job where I met Emmy, they actually, people had an unlimited vacation policy, but no one took it so much that they incentivized you saying that they will give you a thousand dollar American Express gift card to take a week off and people still wouldn't wow. do it. Wow. <laughs> yes. So it's a mental, it's a mental thing. Um, it totally is. That's one. I Secondly, like acknowledging to yourself, to people around you, to your boss, your coworkers, uh, that language that is, we call it critique guidelines in the design landscape, but saying to someone, you're killing it versus I really love that project. Like, what did you enjoy most about it? Or are you proud? Like, how cool is what I just saw? Like, tell me what you're most proud of. There's other ways to acknowledge and give somebody else the opportunity to share if their experience in building that project that you assume means that they're killing it was fruitful to them. Because sometimes we produce things that are amazing in the world, but killed us to make. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we're like, someone's like, you're killing it. It's like, oh, you don't even care. I've been at the point where I'm like, I never want to see that project yeah. again. And that's like where are reaching out to me and they're like, we love it. You, you're so great. That was amazing. Give people the opportunity to share what their experience was before you tell them what their experience is. That's always like language feedback I give to people. I'm like, Hey, like, how about, how about reframing it like this? Or, you know, thanks so much for seeing it that way. This was my experience. Just reframing it. So that it gives you the autonomy in your own work and being honest. Um, and the other thing I would say is in the moments between work, don't doom scroll because those are actually moments of restore restoration you could be having for yourself. So like you've got 10 minutes between meetings, you can close your eyes and meditate for five minutes, go on a walk, be phoneless, use the bathroom. Don't bring your phone. Take that moment to let your body and mind have that reprieve and then go back to your meeting and then go back to your phone. But, you know, we just, people are like, I'm in so many meetings. And I'm like, look at people's calendar. I'm like, you had a two hour break. 
they were on their phone the whole time. So it doesn't actually, they don't feel like they had that space. I actually had a client who, when we would go to his office, uh, Jason Karp, who I love, he's an amazing, amazing human. He would make us put our phones in one room and have lunch in the other room. That's so that we could so important. sit as a team and have lunch together. And you were not allowed to bring, he had a lunch, lit, a, a phoneless lunch room in the office. But it was so brilliant and important. So that's just, my, that's my advice. I strongly, strongly recommend I that. it. I'm going to share that around here. <laughs> yeah, I I love this idea of also just having separation of like if you're if you have your phone on you and then you have like Slack or email on your phone, even if you are doing something that isn't work related, like you're still you still have notifications coming in. Like there's really no separation there. And I also think that going back to what you said about like um American corporate America and American culture's relationship with breaks and vacation. Um, I recently interviewed someone for an article and they were talking about just like the immigrant mentality of their mother where it was like you have a certain persona that you bring to work that's a little bit more guarded and then you have the rest of you that's like for outside of the workplace and I think that's being challenged a fair amount um, both in in healthy and toxic ways I would say like I know that You've talked about um, the cultish mentality of millennial workplace culture where it was like we are a family and yeah. – but also, you know, being important to, to feel like you can you can share your identity and, and share some of your personality at work. So I'm just curious for you, where do you, what do you think the sweet spot is in terms of, you know, um, making sure that you have separation but also feeling comfortable – at work and feeling like you can, you can speak openly about what's going on in your life as well. I think that the bare, the, the middle ground and the only expectations employers should have of employees is that they are kind, compassionate, enthusiastic people. When you say to your employee, like, you know, I've gotten critiques before at other places I've worked where like, I didn't go to the company, you know, I don't go to the Friday night half happy hour. I don't really drink and I need my time by myself after spending five days. And this is when people are back in the office five days a week with the same team. I'm like, I don't want to have happy hour with you guys. <laughs> you know what I mean? I want to see my friend and hang out with my, you know, at the time, my boyfriend. And it was critiqued. It was if I was not being enthusiastic person, like I wasn't excited about the company because I chose not to go to the happy hour. And I actually find that to be a really unfair critique. If you are, if you show up at meetings with a smile on your face, you're off camera, you are engaging, you ask people how they're doing, that is, should be socially acceptable. Whether you want to take it to be more vulnerable and to share more about yourself, that's great. Whether or not you want to go the happy hours, you should have the autonomy not to. And your performance should be based upon how you show up at work. If you're like disgruntled and you're upset all the time or you show no emotion, I think that's fair for critique because, hey, we all have to be there, right? So one person's bad mood, don't make it everyone else's problem is a huge thing for me. Like you got to, I have two siblings and growing up it was like, you're in a bad mood, you got to check that shit at the door. Like we're all here (laughs) (laughs) So I think if you're a kind, compassionate person and show up at work, show up with enthusiasm and and 
engage with your fellow teammates. Everything else outside of that should be at your own decision. If you don't want to go to the happy hour, you should not have to be going to the happy hour and you should not have to be evaluated upon that. Um, I also think drinking is people have different relationships with substance and it's not some people it's not, it's not comfortable or safe space for them to be at a bar on Friday night. And we need to give people that permission. It's safer to go to a breakfast or midday coffee, like give that as an opportunity. Don't make it about, it's very much often surrounded around booze and after work stuff, which I think is tricky. Um, in terms of safe spaces, look, I think people should fully be able to vocalize who they are and what they believe in. I think the only, uh, Danger lies is when uh, mental health sometimes can be put on employers and HR, and these are not mental health trained professionals. And so uh, I think that's the only dangerous line is when people feel that their employer and their HR is not holding space for the mental health. Well, that person is not qualified. And so uh, I think it would benefit employers to have therapy resources, to have group resources outside of the office, to maybe subsidize therapy for people um, if necessary, if, if if you're able to. I just think there's other ways to hold space for mental health that don't involve the employer itself, which is, I know so not everyone's going to agree with me on that, but um, I just don't believe that if you're not qualified for mental health training that you should be giving advice. Yeah. I think that's fair. Right. Just don't. That's super fair. Yeah, like your director of accounting should not be giving you mental health <laughs> advice. Like, don't go to them. You know what I mean? Like, and I know they're your boss, yeah. right? And people are like, my boss is not holding space for my mental health. And I'm like, don't, Joe, don't, <laughs> don't. <laughs> Joe went to school for accounting. He can't give you advice. Don't, don't, don't. it's not fair to Joe yeah. either because Joe did not get that employee handbook. So there's a yes. lot. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, it's so true, Madison. And I think um, I want to thank you for your just your honesty and your transparency, because I, I do think that this these thoughts go through a lot of people's minds. And I think that they just don't say it out loud uh, because it's yeah. frowned upon or, you know, it could be so simple as like passive aggressive comment, like, oh, always on vacation, you know. Um, but it's so refreshing to see you have your success while still instilling these healthy boundaries. So thank you so much for sharing that with us today. Absolutely. Thank you. For yes. And thank you listeners for joining us. We hope that you are feeling inspired by this refreshing conversation. Um, Emmy, thank you so much for just your expertise. Thank being you. Here. Yes. Thank you so much. I, I love having these conversations and I think these are all helpful reminders. You can know this stuff, but being able to hear it echoed from, from the people around you is just always helpful. So I'm so happy to be here. Yes. And thank you both. Um, Madison, I look forward to seeing what you do next. And thank you listeners for joining us. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and Acast Creator Network. This podcast was produced by me, Al Manorino, executive produced by Chris Ahrens and John Heil, and edited by Lane McGivney at Boutwell Studios. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcast. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com. Thanks for listening.
Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality.